reality that the patient is our bread and butter. They're the ones that make our or, or break our, our existence. Welcome to the Small Business Elevation Podcast, where we guide you, the small business owner, from the status quo to success to transformation with tools like this podcast, customized workshops, and personalized detailed coaching. I am your host, Michael I. Roberts, and today our guest is Dr. Calvin Kubo of Golden Valley Medical Associates. Today, Dr. Kubo is going to guide us on why hiring the right business manager can help you focus on what you do best. Also, how medical students can reduce their student loans and give us a peek into the prescription kitchen. But before we get into this wide-ranging interview, let's hear a quick message from our sponsors. Tim McNeely with Lifestone Wealth Management understands that most entrepreneurs like you simply want to make a difference in the lives of the people they love and the causes they care about. In order to do that, you need assistance in solving all of your unique financial needs. The problem is, your current financial advisor wants to talk about what a great job they are doing managing your investment portfolio, and that can leave you feeling frustrated and misunderstood. Tim believes you deserve financial advice that moves beyond your portfolio. Tim understands that you need advice on minimizing taxes, taking care of the next generation, and protecting your hard-earned assets, all while supporting the causes you are passionate about. That is why, for the last 20 years, Tim has focused on providing advice beyond investments. Here's how it works. First, you and Tim meet, and he learns what really matters to you. Then... Tim presents a plan for moving forward, making real progress towards achieving your most important goals. To get started, contact Tim at lifestonewm.com. That's lifestonewm.com. And start making a difference in the lives of the people you love and the causes you care about. Today's economy is growing. The question is, Are the team of new employees you are going to bring on board going to help you build a strong and profitable business? Small Business Celebration can guide you to three indispensable virtues that make some people better team players than others and build a framework with easy-to-use tools for identifying, hiring, and developing ideal team players for your organization. If you want to create a culture of teamwork for your business that is simple, practical, and works, go to smallbusinesscelebration.com today. Build a team that wants you to succeed. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com today. Hello, fellow business owners. Uh, We're here today with Dr. Calvin Kubo of Golden Valley Medical Associates. Now, with a full disclosure, I want to point out that uh, Dr. Kubo is my family practitioner. And when I first moved to Bakersfield, I asked uh, several of my colleagues, professional colleagues, who they recommended as a physician. And uh, they immediately, the first thing they said out of their mouth was, oh, you need Dr. Kubo. And almost immediately after that, they said, good luck getting an appointment. (laughs) And uh, that told me a couple things. One is that he's got a very good reputation as a physician, which I can personally attest, but also that he's got a very successful business. And I wanted to find out why he has a very successful business. So welcome to the show, Dr. Kubo. Thank you. Golden Valley Medical Associates, this is their 20th year in business. Congratulations. That's correct. Thank you. Thank you very much. And as many people know, most businesses go out of business after five. So doing it for 20 years, especially 
uh, in the medical field is rather significant. Where did you work before you started Golden, Golden Valley Medical Associates? I worked at the Bakersfield Valley Medical Center uh, on California Avenue. Okay. And why did you choose to start your own practice? Well, the practice there was somewhat constricting to the way I like to practice. Uh, it was uh, a big group setting, and they did things a little differently than I wanted to do it. They they were trying to control patient care, and it seemed like it was more, I hate to say this, but more about the dollar rather than about the patient. And mm became hard to take care of patients the way I felt I needed to. And how do you take care of patients? I find out what their problem is and what they need and then try to help them get that help that they need, whether I can help them or direct them to that help. And how is this? How is your approach in doing this on your own different than when you're working for somebody else? I don't have to ask permission to make recommendations, although the insurance company still does have their hand in things. Sure. One of the things that I did before our interview here is I posted on Facebook that I was going to be interviewing the great Dr. Calvin Kubo, and I asked what what questions they had, and some of the questions that came up were rather interesting and fascinating, and one of them is from, a, from several pre-med students as well as physicians who are in a much larger facility and practice. And they were, consi- they were wanted to know what advice that you would have for them about going into private practice and starting your own company, your own firm. Well, when I started it, the climate in medicine was a lot different than it is today. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you know, 20 years. So it's, uh, actually, it's more than 20 years when I started because actually it was in 1992 mm-hmm. when I went out on my own, and yeah, it was it was a struggle at first because you know you start from nothing and you have overhead. Right. So what uh, I had to do was you know work hard. In other words, I'd be working at the hospital next door to our office. We were at Mercy Southwest at that time before the hospital even opened. And then when it opened, we were um, covering code blue coverage through the night, so we'd have to sleep in the hospital. Wow. Uh, it- one of the patient rooms that are now filled with patients. And uh, I'd work urgent care at Mercy Medic Center, which was there where the hospital has their ER now. Right. And then we'd see patients there and then go across the street well, right next door, and see patients in the office. And so gradually we'd build up the practice and uh, be able to have some income that was more steady uh, while we were building the practice. So the the time commitment for you was almost like doing your residency all over again, wasn't it? It was quite a time commitment because, you know, working long hours, in fact, not only at the Medi Center, but uh, I'd work at some of the local emergency rooms as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, working late hours there as well as, you know, working during the day, you know, I, I'd sleep through the, well, hopefully sleep if I didn't get called, <laughs> through the night at Mercy Southwest and then be ready to work the next day at the office. So, yeah, it was uh, challenging at times in terms of the time commitment. 
what business practices did you have to learn while under fire while trying to also take care of patients at the same time? Well, fortunately, I had some help with that. You know, we had a business manager that was working for um, several physicians at the time, mm-hmm. and uh, she was experienced enough. Her name was Linda Brobst, and she helped us because she had worked with medical practices before, and that really helps out. And, you know, having the right person is definitely a, a very helpful thing, you know, especially when you don't know yourself a lot about a business and running a medical practice. I'm guessing that when you got your education, your formal education in medicine, they didn't have a business school attached to the medical program, did they not? No, they didn't. And so how did you learn business skills while not having any business education? Well, I didn't really learn the business skills, you know, as as you think I know them. You know, it was more, like I said, I found the right person to help me. And then I guess maybe I did learn from them. But even now I still have a office manager who does a lot of the business, so to speak, you know, hiring, firing, and uh, doing the transactions that are necessary from day to day. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if um, I could really say that I learned all the business, so to speak, but I learned how to control it in a way that was uh, comfortable for me to be able to watch but yet take part when I needed to. One of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of other physicians – it becomes a numbers game. It becomes how many patients can they see through the door in a particular day so that they can get their numbers up so they can get the revenue coming in. How do you work with that? What's your philosophy on dealing with that, and what kinds of complications have you dealt with in that category? Well, early on, of course, the numbers game wasn't a problem. It was just to patients seen, you know, whoever I could get in, you know, it didn't matter. You know, we tried to be as flexible as possible throughout the whole business day, and uh, we'd gradually fill up. And uh, probably, I would say, when we started in 92, within a year, or actually six months to a year, closer to six to nine months, I would say we actually stopped doing all the extraneous things and just concentrated strictly on a private practice. What do you mean by extraneous things? ER, urgent care, Ah. and sleeping in the hospital. (laughs) (laughs) It was fine when you were 20, but not when you get older. Right, right. So by that time, things were rolling along more, and it just kept building. In fact, you know, within uh, several years, and I had a physician assistant who was working with me, and pretty soon... That multiplied, and now we have in our group, you know, two physicians, myself and Dr. Gadia, and then uh, two physician assistants and two family nurse practitioners. How have you been able to manage your cash flow coming out of medical school and have the, having these significant debts and, and costs and being able to go ahead and have enough money to be able to eat more than, you know, peanut butter and jelly? Well, fortunately... I participated in the program called the National Health Service Corps, 
which is a program where they supply your tuition money as well as give you a small stipend and pay for your books and supplies. And uh, for every year of uh, that you receive help, you give them one year of service in a health manpower shortage area. This isn't something that's done through a branch of the military, is this not? No, it is a government agency, but it's not the military. Okay. And how does it work? They just you go through and you fill it out, and they say, "Okay, we're going to send you to this, you know, town in Kentucky, and you're going to go ahead and help these people for a year." Well, what they do is they first, you know, you have an application, and you have to tell them what your goals are. You know, primary care, and are you willing to work in a health manpower shortage area, and so forth. And uh, what you do is after you um, fill out all the applications, then you Look, they have a whole list of places that are in that category, and uh, then you make a list of places you want to go interview. So you can choose. It's not just totally just doled down to you. This is where you have to go. So we looked at a small town in Kentucky, Mouthcard, and then we looked at a place in North Carolina, several places, and uh, in Tennessee, and uh I was looking with another friend of mine from that residency, and so we ended up interviewing together and found this place in North Carolina, a small town called Morven and Wadesboro. Hmm. And what was the name of this program one more time? National Health Service Corps. National Health Service. For those of you who aren't familiar with Dr. Kubo and Golden Valley Medical Associates, we happen to be conducting this interview right now in a facility that I would garner to say is most unusual to most uh, family practices that I have ever seen or most anybody else has, have, has seen. And we are currently sitting in the prescription kitchen, the RX kitchen, and it is part of the facility here at Golden Valley Medical. This is a very unique and very interesting situation. You walk in here, and this looks like something that you would see on HGTV. This looks like a a wonderful studio for your basic cooking show. Tell us a little bit about this, Dr. Kubo. Well, I've always been interested in preventive medicine and wanted to do things the proper way, which is uh, having people eat properly in order to gain health rather than to take medications to cover them up, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, we started, actually, when we were at our office over on um, Stockdale Highway. And what we'd do is every Friday, we'd come in and clear up the waiting room, change it around, rearrange the furniture, and put tables at the front. And then on Sundays, we'd have classes once a week. And uh, my wife and her friend, who was also helping to teach, they were not real happy with the situation, (laughs) and they made a wish list so that when we got our own office here, they had everything on their wish list pretty much checked off, and uh, this is what they wanted, and so this is what I got them. And so it's a facility that uh, has, it seats 30 people and has a professional-grade kitchen 
And uh, in fact, it's better than my kitchen at home. <laughs> <laughs> and it has a nice mirror at, up above that, so that everyone in the classroom can see where they are without having to look over someone's head. They can look at the mirror and it looks down at uh, what's being cooked. So it's, it's uh, very good for viewing. And what's the charge to have people come in and participate in this class? Well, if there are patients, then, and their copayment is fairly low, it's whatever their copayment is. And then uh, we usually have a f- upfront charge of $40 for supplies and things. That way, if they only come once, they don't get it back. If they come to all the classes, they get that $40 back at the end because we've been able to bill out some of the charges because we bill out like a nurse-only visit for doing vitals and that when they come in. So, so this is part of their, so this is actually part of their medical plan is is how the prescription kitchen works. Somewhat. But, you know, there are a number who just pay, you know, uh, $25 a class up front and then they come and we don't have to document anything in terms of uh, for the insurance company because they're just paying it on their own. And a lot of people do that, even those who are patients here, but also those who are not patients here who want to come, they will be able to do that as well. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to learn how to reduce your cholesterol, if you want to learn how to cook better, feel better, and eat better, then the Prescription Kitchen is the place to be on Thursday nights for $25. Am I getting this correct? That's correct. Excellent. uh, We do reversing diabetes, Mm -hmm. you know, the Dr. Neil Barnard's program for reversing diabetes, and then we do the 21-day weight loss kickstart, and occasionally we'll do the um, prevent and and, uh, living with cancer. Excellent. And so right now you're working on the the programs geared around the 21-day weight loss kickstarter. Is that based on a book, or is this a, a program that you developed yourself? It's based on a book uh, written by Dr. Neil Barnard, pcrm.org. That's Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine. Uh, You can find this book as well. And Dr. Neil Barnard is the president of PCRM. And that's pcrm.org if you're interested in uh, also finding this book at that location as well. How has technology changed your, your business practice and the way things are done? Well... Uh, the electronic medical records, or as we commonly call it now, the EMR, uh-huh. has changed our life drastically because we have you know, to spend an enormous amount of money up front to buy this program and all the software and hardware that goes along with it, and then uh, an ongoing fee monthly for the licenses for this program. We're one of the early adopters, and we started this at the end of 2004, so we've probably been at it uh, with electronic medical records longer than most people. And how has this helped your business? Well, I would say it helps and it hurts. You know, okay. it, it helps in terms of having information available remotely. I can be on vacation and be able to look up on a patient's chart through my computer, connecting to the office computer or through the Internet and uh, be able to see what's going on and be able to call in a prescription if that's necessary or or send it in or fax it in or electronically transmit it. So 
I can see what's going on in the office even when I'm not there. I could be in Mexico, I could be in Europe, and I could still connect and see what's going on. The downside is, since adopting the EMR, it has uh, affected production because it takes a lot longer to document hmm. than it did before. And time is money. Right. And you can see less patients because of that. How has the, going with the medical records, how has that cut down on physician error between multiple physicians working with the same patient? Has that helped at all? Yes, you know, there's not a problem with reading handwriting so much like before. You know, <laughs> if someone didn't write very clearly, you may mistake something, you know, for one thing for another. But when it's typed or you know, written there, you can see it, and there's no mistake in that. Sure. It's not necessarily error-free because, you know, if you click the wrong button, it could put the wrong thing down, and then you have to make sure you catch that. Sure, sure. You know, computers are only as smart as their users. So. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> garbage in, garbage out, as the right. say it goes. What gets you up in the morning to come to work? Because you've been doing this for more than 20 years now, and uh, you, you know, you've got a, a successful practice here. And what gets you up in the morning to want to still come to work and, and still participate when you could probably very easily sell the practice and go retire? Well, I... Like we already talked about, I enjoy the prescription kitchen because that's uh, a way of preventing illness rather than treating it. I've always enjoyed that aspect of medicine. You know, as I've always told people, probably 80 to 90% of what we see in medicine here in the office is self-induced. And we can work on most of those through diet. You know, although you know, there's other things obviously like smoking that are diet related, that that also contribute. But I think that aspect I enjoy doing, and then you know what gets me up in the morning. Obviously, there's the the challenge of racquetball. <laughs> that's my it's uh, my passion that I enjoy doing. You know, and often we'll be out there at five thirty in the morning and playing for an hour and a half to two hours to unleash some of that pent-up energy and frustration sometimes. And so that is something that you can look forward to, uh, you know, competition. And certainly that will get you going in the morning. Once you're done with that, you're energized for the day. So it doesn't take much to get you going after that. Well, I have to admit, it's it's because of you. I get up and run a five k every morning. So, <laughs> so thank you. My my wife groans every time I get up at a quarter to six to go take that run. So, thank you for that. But you feel much better during the day, don't you? <laughs> that is true. That is very very true. How do you invest in yourself? How what do you do to keep educated and on top of things, especially as rapidly as the medical field is changing? Well, it's it's an ongoing thing. Um, Certainly through the Internet, it's made things certainly easier to keep in touch with a lot of different things, although you have to filter things because there's a lot of things that come through that aren't necessarily things that you want to take hold of. So I would say, you know, there's certain electronic journals that are good to look at. And then... Which ones do you recommend? CMEs or Continuing Medical Education that... I enjoy doing that uh, are helpful for continuing um, education 
and keeping me up to date, such as the uh, Mayo Clinic. They have a uh, program called the Selected Topics of Internal Medicine every year, and uh, that's a, a very good up-to-date one that really is probably one of the best ones I've attended, and I will try to get to that every year if I can. Excellent. How has your patient, your client, changed in the last 10 years? The patient, of course, has been affected by the Internet, of course, like everyone knows, and now we <clears throat> are uh, bombarded by patients who are, quotes, educated because they've read it on the Internet. They saw it on WebMD, and now right. they're now they're hypochondriac. Right, so uh, they come in with diagnoses that may or may not be correct or with things that they want ordered that they feel is something that needs to be ordered because of what it says on the Internet. So right. we have a lot of <clears throat> competition for advice that is already out there, and so it sometimes can help or it sometimes can hurt, of course, and uh, that that makes it a little difficult sometimes. At this point, we've gone through about some of the challenges that a new physician business owner would be undergoing and undertaking and understanding that the, what they're facing when they start a new business. As we close out here, what would be one key piece of advice that you would give a pre-med student who's thinking about starting their own practice? Well, certainly if you want to succeed, keep the mentality that the patient is our bread and butter. They're the ones that make our or, or break our, our existence. And so if we treat the patient the way we'd want to be treated, then we're more likely to succeed. Very good. Well, f ladies and gentlemen, uh, I'd like to thank Dr. Kubo for joining us on Small Business Celebration. And uh, if people want to go ahead and learn more about the Prescription Kitchen, where can they find you at? Well, you can either email uh, bwell at theprescriptionkitchen.com, which is bwell at therxkitchen.com, or call the telephone number 695 9965 and leave a message on the answering machine. Very good then. Well, Dr. Kubo, thank you very much and, th and we appreciate you being on the show. Thank you very much. Thank I appreciate you. it. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash small business celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business in the California San Joaquin Valley you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.